0: the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. What does it mean to be a cultural kinkeeper? And how does that idea relate to grief? These are two of the questions I explore with Anika Chabra, co-founder of Root & Seed, a platform meant to inspire people to collect and document stories, recipes, and traditions. While the platform is designed to help people document these stories before someone dies, as it can be with many innovations, Root and Seed came out of Anika's experience of not having that. When Anika's mom died suddenly in 2019, she realized just how much she didn't know, not just about her mom, but also about their family history and their cultural traditions. After her death, Anika went searching for this information learning more about how, as a child, her mother lived through partition in India and Pakistan, and about how she then moved from India to England and eventually to Canada. She also learned more about the rituals, traditions, and holidays connected to their culture. Anika realized that she was tasked with stepping into the role of being a cultural kinkeeper in her family, to deeply connect with her cultural background, and to explore the meaning of those rituals and traditions that her family had always observed. Root and Seed is Anika's offering to help others have meaningful conversations with their family members in the hopes of recording these important stories and legacies. Anika, thank you for coming on Grief Out Loud today. Thank you, Jana. I am
1: just so thrilled to be here.
0: What do you want listeners to know about you today?
1: Well, um, my name is Anika Chabra. I live in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. You've got a friend up in Canada now. Um, I guess what I want people to know about me is I have many parts to my identity. It's always an interesting question, right? Um, I'm a wife. I have a loving husband, an incredible husband. I have two children, so I'm a mother. I used to be in corporate. And I actually decided that uh, I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial, which is something we're going to get into today. Uh, I have a brother, I'm a, so I'm a loving sister. And I guess in the context of what we're going to be talking about today, it's really important for me to note that I'm a daughter um, and a very proud daughter, and a very proud daughter of both uh, both my, my mother and my father, uh, my mother who has sadly passed. Um, And then finally, I am a co-founder of a beautiful platform called Root and Seed. That platform was birthed two years ago, actually two years this Saturday on July 22nd. So we're we're recording in the middle of July. And what we do is we harness the age-old power of storytelling with intuitive technologies and physical products and tools and inspiration to allow people to claim, honor, document their beautiful family stories and recipes and tales for for safekeeping.
0: And I know you mentioned your mother who who has died and how, I know we're going to talk more about this, but that their mother's death was really kind of the start of the incubation of the idea for root and seed. So tell us a bit about Your mom, like, how did she mother you?
1: That's a beautiful question. Um, I think in order to answer that question, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about her upbringing. feels right to start there. Uh, She was born in what is present-day Pakistan in a Hindu family before the Pakistan and India partition. And her family was forced to leave in a moment's notice from from Pakistan and sort of leave in the middle of the night with very little possessions. And these are things that I've discovered as I've birthed the platform root and seed. And so she had a very sort of tumultuous upbringing. Um, Her family went from, I would say, rather stable and middle class to poor and of course, many Muslim families were displaced and, and you know, forced to leave their homes and, and the same thing happened. That became and began the start of the demise, I, w- I would say, of her father. She attributed him, you know, sort of getting into a little bit of de- depression and uh, having some physical health issues as a result of that world event and the effect on their family. And so sadly, she lost her father when she was 18. That was, in my mind, a big pivotal changing point for her. She, she It lit a fire under her. She was very determined to not have a poor life. She wanted to leave India. She wanted to go for a higher education. And so she did a BA, she did a master's of education, she did a master's in English. Like you're talking about somebody who, at that time, you know, a South Asian woman uh, was highly educated. And um, she was introduced to my father, and they got married in a week. he lived in England. So to her, that was great because that was her ticket out of India. That was her, you know, I can leave and I can start a new life. And that started the phase of her life where she, you know, India was sort of in her rear view mirror is sort of the, the next phase of her life. Then of course she had my brother and I, when they moved to, to England But she never left that sense of determination. She was very professionally determined. Um, She always wanted to do better when it came to professionally. And uh, so she became a teacher. And then when she moved to to Canada, vice principal and then a principal. And so I would say, to answer your question more directly, the beginning of our relationship I wouldn't say was a loving mother-daughter relationship in a very typical way. It was more that I was in awe of her. I was in awe of this woman who had, despite all odds, uh, powered through it and taken control of her narrative and her life. I would say the first, I would say 18 years of my life with her, 16 to 18 years of my life with her was a real sense of me witnessing greatness in front of me and having an incredible role model to be able to look up to but i wouldn't say i get all the warm and fuzzies that you know some of the kids some other kids who may have grown up in other households would get when they think of their mom and i'm highly generalizing believe me i know there's relationships out there that are not stereotypical and then The second half of my relationship with my mom and and the way that she mothered me, I think would be best described as, you know, I started to do the things that she did, like graduated from university, decided on a vocation, got married to my husband, had children, and suddenly something switched. And all of a sudden I had more of a friendship relationship with her. And I could sort of, you know, we we started to bond over shared life milestones in many ways. So I had a lot to share with her, and a lot to learn from. It became a lot more of a warm, loving mother-daughter relationship as we turned into and as I turned into an adult And got to develop our relationship and really, you know, go from being in awe of her to more of a peer and really understanding how she created such a wonderful life for herself eventually.
0: When your mother died, especially now thinking through the way your relationship had evolved and developed in that second part of your life with her. What else did you lose?
1: Yeah, my my reaction to that is I've lost so much, yet yeah, I've gained so much. And I'm sure this is a narrative that that many of your the folks within the Dougie Center, but also um, you know, your podcast guests think through as they think about things that happen, the sort of post-traumatic growth that can happen through a loss like this. But on the losing side of things, you know, not having her physically here was was tremendous. The first few months, the first few milestones were just incredibly hard. You know, the idea that even though I had a really strong role model for 44 years and many for many, like, you know, 24 years of those of those 44 years as I became an adult and, and went through all the lifestyle. Milestones as she did. The idea that she wouldn't be here to be a role model for my own daughter, my own children, was very sad. You know, things like picturing and seeing my father for the very first time walk into my home or walk into our local mall on his own. You know, the idea that I wouldn't have pictures of her anymore, that she wouldn't be part of the milestones. It just, it was something that was so present for me. And then months in the sort of secondary losses kicked in. And I realized that that resource that I had before to answer some questions, to be my gut check, to be the person to check in with, like, am I on the right path? Am I doing the right thing? Was no longer there. And I remember somebody had said to me, a very, very smart man who was a friend of both my parents, a little younger than both my parents. And I remember him saying to me, well, you aren't given an instruction manual when somebody dies. And for me, I was like, well, why not? I had an instruction manual for everything else in my (laughs) life, for all the other milestones. And you know it's, and I'm not going to try to not use a platitude or cliche on this podcast for sure, but you know the very person who had gone through grief so tremendously and so deeply and so intimately was no longer here for me to call. This idea that I couldn't share this now news new phase with her, which is an inevitable right? Getting married, having children, the natural order of things, whatever you want to call it, parents die, those things happen. But it was tremendous to me that I just couldn't pick up the phone and say, hey, mom, I'm feeling a crap today. <laughs> like, what do you do when you're feeling in the dumps when it comes to losing a person? You've been through it. Tell me how that feels. How do I get through that? It was just overwhelming. And lastly, I would say, of course, since, you know, she was the impetus for the reason why we started Root and Seed, but I really wanted to honor my mom when she passed away. It was very important to me. I didn't know how. I went through the ideas of things like doing a scholarship fund, you know, at our local teacher's college, um, building a school, getting a bench, you know planting a tree, like all those things went through my head and I couldn't quite nail it on what I wanted to do to honor her. And my first inclination was, well, I want to write the book of Rama. Her name was Rama. And I wanted to write that book so badly, Jana. And I realized I couldn't, I didn't have the stories. I didn't have her life stories. I didn't have her early day stories, save for a few of them that I've now discovered. Um, And I just simply could not write that story. And that was very saddening to me. And so what I did was I asked my dad, I was like, you got to write down everything. (laughs) This has got to happen now. So I hired a service that every week he got an email and he wrote a story and, you know, he's pretty digitally literate for somebody in his, his seventies and eighties. And so he wrote the stories and he wrote it obviously from his perspective and it was very cathartic and he wrote about her passing and all these other wonderful stories that, and I'm so glad I have those stories. Um, And it was a useful thing. And I I would never take away the idea of doing a memoir. I think that's so important. I think many people should do it. I think they need to do it in their 50s and 60s. I I think you need to write down the stories immediately. As soon as you know them, write those down. But what um, was absent in that process for me was once again, we were putting the onus on the elder generation to do things. And I couldn't quite understand. It it felt like, kind of felt icky, probably the best word. You know, they had done so much, particularly my immigrant parents had sacrificed so much for my family and my brother and I to to succeed and to thrive and to avoid all the things that they had to go through when they were younger. Yet when it came to storytelling, We were once again putting the onus on our parents' generation to do the documenting. And one thing I realized also was that because I was not involved in the storytelling and the documenting, that I was missing out on healing some of the generational trauma that I clearly needed to heal as I discovered more and more about myself and my identity post my mother's passing and so the texture and the values and the attributes of root and seed come from that central place of it is not our parents generation's responsibility in fact it's our generation's responsibility to now take on those stories to own those stories to document those stories one source of that information is definitely our parents' generation. But the healing that happens between conversations and collecting stories and bearing that trauma so that it does not go on to the next generation can only be done, in my opinion, through conversations. And that's why Root and Seed is why it is the way it is today, because we truly believe that it is that sandwich generation, the younger generation's responsibilities to now take on those stories and internalize them and own them and pass them on and decide what we want to take forward.
0: Mm -hmm. Given that you were needing to do a lot of this story exploration and research into your family line, into your culture after your mom died, what did you discover about grief in your family's history? I know you mentioned you know, that your mom's dad died when she was 18 and and the grief and the trauma of partition. And just wondering what else you discovered or, or how that showed up in your family. So
1: I did witness the loss of my grandparents when i was younger around 18 19 they were in their late 70s which at that time was you know they had lived a full life and um i didn't have a lot of experience with grief but i have to be honest there wasn't a lot that we talked about i didn't i didn't hear about my grandfather a lot outside of the kind of sad story about him you know, sort of the the things that that he had to deal with uh, once they had to move, and it wasn't a conversation that entered into the dinner table, or it wasn't something that we talked about intimately at all. And I ha- didn't discover very much about it um, as I've gone through the history of of my family and documenting the stories. Right now, I will say now that I have been through this you know because it's such an important part and phase of life and an inevitable it really does feel like it's something that i bring to my children a lot i talk about my mom a lot with them they are, they hear her name we talk about stories and not in a like we're going to bring this up and and sort of be um i don't know not sad but like not not on the sad days only we also talk about this on like the everyday everyday um kind of cadence as well. And so I'm trying to reverse the absence of understanding grief in my upbringing um, in a way that my children can now access that when they do inevitably feel grief in their life and experience that. Um, I'd also say, You know, in Hinduism, we we believe in incarnation and the soul lives on. And so this idea of feeling into your feelings and being really sad (laughs) wasn't really present for me. I recall at my grandmother's uh, funeral, my paternal grandmother, quite a very strong relationship with, and she, you know, taught me how to pray. And I spent lots of time with her, but I recall bursting out into tears. And I remember family saying, shh, 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 no, no, like everybody, no, you got to keep quiet. And I couldn't understand. I was like, I'm really sad right now. (laughs) Like, I really want to feel these feelings. But, and I, you know, now at that time, I, I, I thought it was more etiquette. You know, you're in public. Don't don't display your you know your sadness publicly. But now I see that as more of a religious reason that we uh, we truly believe that the soul lives on and that you'd want to allow that to to flourish. And so, those would be the things that I learn most about grief as I sort of go through my family history and and think about my stories growing up.
0: I wanted to go back to what you were talking about of the, the shift of responsibility, in terms of being the story keepers or the story recorders or you know how, whatever terminology you might use around that of like pulling that off of being fully on the the older generation. I wonder when I was reading a little bit about your company about root and seed, there's this term cultural kin keeper, and I wondered if that's kind of what you were describing and if there was more you might say about like. What does that mean to be a cultural kinkeeper?
1: Yeah, it's such a beautiful term. It's actually a Toronto uh, sociologist who came up with a term in the 1980s that I've now discovered, the idea of kinkeeper specifically. And then certainly adding the word cultural makes sense in in my context, absolutely for sure. So it's a it's a term that I feel very a lot of pride around, actually. When you say that, that word, it, uh, the term, it really feels uh, very very filled with with pride. Um, I liken the feeling I had around some of the earlier milestones around my culture. For instance, things like the first Diwali after my mom passed. I liken it to imagine me on a track and field field. All of a sudden, somebody, I don't know who it is, is passing me a baton. So I've got this baton in my hand and I've got my lane and then all of a sudden this fog descends and it becomes so incredibly cloudy and I don't know where to step next. And that's how I felt the very first Diwali when my daughter looked up at me. And when I say looked up, I mean, she's 18 now, so like (laughs) maybe an inch and I remember her looking up at me and saying, okay, mom, what what are we doing? What's up? Like, what are the prayers? What do we do? What do we bring out? And I was like, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> like, I actually don't know. And that was really sad to me because, you know, often at Root and Seed, we say, you can't find Nona's Italian sauce recipe on Google and Pinterest. You can't find Nani's biryani recipe you know, by Googling it. If you don't take the time to write down the way that your family does the way you do things, then you're forced to. Do what's called cultural tourism, and you know, which is great. Oh my god, there's so many. Jane. I'm so glad. (laughs) I'm so glad that there's companies out there that allow me to connect with my culture, even though it's not my way of doing things. So I'm so glad for those guys. I really am, and we we spotlight them a lot at Root and Seed. So I definitely want to mention that. But because I hadn't taken the time to understand how my family uniquely does the things that we do, and write those things down. I felt very lost, and so when you say the word "cultural kinkeeper," it now brings a smile to my face because I have discovered the way I do things through, uh, you know, interviewing extended family members, my father, writing those things down, and so now I feel a sense of pride around that. Um, immediately, I felt a lot of fog, but it, you know that has now dissipated and lifted for sure. And I would also say that particularly at Root and Seed, what we wanted to do was make sure that not only are we inspiring the kinkeeper to kinkeep, to write down the stories and to, to really capture the the tales and the recipes, but we all also wanted to ease the burden of a kinkeeper. Because you know every family's got one, right? The the person who knows all the dates, who knows all the stories, who gets the family together, who plans the reunions, you know, makes sure all the aunts and uncles are are at the reunion, you know, cooks the recipes, the family recipes. We all we all have that kin keeper. Again, generalizing, you know, tremendously here, but but if we could at root and seed help to ease. The burden that is placed on the kinkeeper through, as an example, and I'll talk a little bit about our platform in a moment, but you know, we have two different entry points in our, our web app. And one is through children questions and one are through adult questions. And so what's brilliant about that is all of a sudden I can put now the onus on my children's generation to ask the elder generation. And we do know- that the children are, are a great uh, icebreaker when it comes to telling family stories. They, they you know, elder generations tend to tell their grandchildren more than they would even tell their own children. And so what we wanted to do was ease that little, that, that, um, that burden that was placed on the kinkeeper by equipping them with tools and not just giving them inspiration to actually do this, was like, what can we do to arm them to be successful in what they want to do is, which is to keep those traditions going on forever and ever.
0: Well, you gave us a little sneak preview, but yeah. Tell us more about root and seed in terms of like, what are the actual ways that you support people in being those cultural kin keepers? Um, So we
1: started with a blog and podcast, And so, you know, one of the roles that I play in the business is I am the podcast host and I get to do what you do, Jana, so well, um, which is to interview people from all sorts of different cultural backgrounds. And one of the reasons why we started with that inspiration was we wanted to make sure that the everyday person saw value in their story. So when I started to think about understanding my family stories, I just thought oh yeah typically very typically my parents had an arranged marriage they got married and then they moved to England like many people from the you know Indian subcontinent and they moved to Canada again like thousands and thousands and thousands of people lived happily ever after until my mom passed away one of them had to go first like it was just sort of just a story. But when I really started to understand the textures and uh, the nuances of my family stories, that's when I started to really um, gain the pride that I wanted to and, and desired to, to really help understand what I wanted to take forward and then have my children internalize and understand themselves. And so what we wanted to do was make sure that we showed and showcase stories so that people would get inspired to do this. That you didn't have to be a genealogist or someone who was very just you know focused in on ancestry to really understand your family stories and see value in, in the stories And so that was our, our kind of first phase and you can see lots of beautiful stories at rootency.com uh, where which houses all of our uh, blog and, and our podcasts. And then the fast follow to that was, you know, like I mentioned, having giving tools was really important to us. So we launched our launched our technology solution, which is a simple web app. so no download required. And what it does is it serves up questions in four categories: um, family stories, celebrations, uh, food and traditions. And it has a main question. And then we worked with cognitive linguists and journalists to come up with dig deeper questions. Because often when you ask the first question, you may get something like, oh, I don't know, or not really sure. And so what that those dig deeper questions are meant to do is to, to help with a story and a narrative arc and almost become a journalist in the way that you would ask questions of your family members. And then you, w- you can record on the web app very privately and securely. We've worked with lawyers and lawyers and lawyers to make sure that that was the case. And you could also add three images and some text because sometimes you just want to capture some of the words that people say or you want to title it in a certain way. And all of a sudden, you start to have a beautiful library that is a tapestry of your family stories. And then we listen to our community because, as much as the web app was something that was empowering for your or my generation and the younger generation, the older generation, they still like the physical and the tactile. Our community asked us for physical conversation cards. I have a a pack here. And so what we did is we printed the top 68 questions from our web app and printed them onto cards with unique QR codes, which link to the exact question on the web app. So you can play this on your own and just have the one question, or you can play it with the web app open and you can record and, and discover more questions on there. So that was something that happened earlier this year we did a Kickstarter and you know sold out in an hour and all the all the wonderful things to to help validate that this was something that our our community would love. And then coming up we're actually a you know mid August we're going to be launching extensions of these physical products. So we have this is our family version. We have a memoir version which is going to be a beautiful maroon. I just got like the video from the printer yesterday. And and so I'm pretty excited about that. And that's meant to facilitate a conversation with one person, if you're, you know, meant to get a a story about one person's life, life stories. Um, We are extending it into extension packs for the cultural holidays. Um, so we're doing one for Diwali, we're doing one for Lunar New Year. Uh, Hanukkah, and then of course, Thanksgiving, we have to do Thanksgiving, I feel like people have lots of stories around Thanksgiving. And then finally, we are extending this into schools and into the workplace, because they've been using these cards already. So it happens to align to three or four grade curriculum, all the way from grade four, all the way up into high school. And so, understanding your family stories. There's tons of studies that tell you that um, that is a something that that's something that that leads to self confidence and a higher self esteem in children. And so, you're going to find this in schools, uh, being used in curriculums in a school pack, as well as um, as part of DE and I, you know, diversity and inclusion kits in the workplace. To help facilitate more inclusive and connected conversations around where people come from and dispelling stereotypes and things like that. So just a few things.
0: <laughs> what were you What were you saying about your mom being a very determined, focused, hardworking person in the world? Seems like that might be part of your uh, inheritance as well.
1: It really, it really does feel like that, and I, I do have to shout out my my co founder who. Without without her, um, this really, this this would never come. I mean, have become what it is today. Yes, grief has informed root and seed and me turning, I guess, pain into purpose. And I'm sorry, I don't want to use any
0: platitudes <laughs> or, or chronitudes,
1: <laughs> but I had to. But what's interesting in her story, and I, I very briefly will talk about it because I think it is an interesting um Idea around grief as well is she grew up in a household that assimilated. So for her, she was in a mixed um, family growing up. So she grew up with a Thai father and a Boston Irish family and only understood her Irish side of things. And only until she became an adult and had children, and her children started to ask these questions, and she started to go through, down this discovery did she realize that her father actually you know didn't tell her a lot about her stories growing up and so in many ways her loss or her grief is through the absence of those stories and that environment growing up whereas i grew up in a household that was rich in culture yet i've now lost my cultural instruction manual beacon whatever you want to call it so i think loss can play its way into this story and it's it's really it's fueled by things like immigration and colonialism and, you know, all sorts of different things. But it is an interesting notion that we we came together for very, very different reasons to help fill in the gaps that were, um, that presented themselves because of life occurrences and decisions that other people made.
0: Well, it's such an important distinction, right? That grief can happen when we are grieving what we had or grieving what we won't have in the future, and also grieving what we never had. I know, and it seems like you and your co founder are bringing all three of those aspects of grief into the way you're thinking about the offerings that you're creating for root and seed. And what's your sense of the root and seed's been around for two years, soon, this weekend will be two years. What's your sense of how it's been to carry your own grief into this work and hearing from people who are using your products and recognizing that they uh, likely are carrying grief as well, whether it's like forecasting for grief and wanting to gather as many stories as they can now, or trying to, as you were doing, like go back in time to find the stories that maybe the person who died didn't get a chance to share or document. So how, yeah, how has it impacted your own grief to be doing this work?
1: Hmm. It's such a deep question. And I want to I want to let it sink in for a moment. It feels in some ways ironic, bittersweet, sad sometimes, I will say, because I'm trying to encourage intergenerational conversations with the very person that people should be having conversations with. Yet I don't have that person here. So as an example, in a couple of weeks, when we do get our beautiful memoir deck, we need to shoot photography. We need to get it on our website. And I don't have my mom around to be able to say, mom, can you come and, you know, sit down with Ari and Talon and love to have you in the photo shoot. And so on one hand, you know, it exacerbates or it, um, (laughs) it points out a little bit more, distinctly that I don't have that very person that I wish I had to ask the questions of. But then to our earlier discussion, just a couple minutes ago, do you always, do you ever always have the answers sometimes? Like, it's like, you know, we all do suffer some loss in some way and gaps. And do we always have those answers? Like, Frankly, did my mom have all the answers and all the question, all the answers to the questions and the ways of doing things? And did my grandparents have those answers? And so sometimes you just have to be grateful for what you got when you did get it. <laughs> and then trust a little bit of intuition, perhaps, or a little bit of, I'm going to pave a new way, or I'm going to start a new ritual, or I'm going to do what all my other ancestors did. And try to figure out how you navigate your way forward and, and allow that fog to dissipate and to clear for yourself. You know, for me, my grief is very present. (laughs) It's been four years. It, the texture of my grief and, and the sort of growth that I have experienced since experiencing grief informs the composition the values the way we run our business you know if i'm having a crappy day my business partner knows it you know the day after mother's day this year i didn't have such a good day i'll tell you that i overextended i tried to like power through super mom host go to spin class with my daughter go have coffee with a girlfriend like i don't know what i was thinking You know, I I felt it the next day. And it's interesting. I I read a really interesting article in The Atlantic about it wasn't the Atlantic, but it was somewhere around the, the burden of the kinkeeper and how we should actually give the kinkeeper Mondays off, not and, and kinkeeper or sandwich generation, caregiver, whatever term you wanna wanna use. But we actually should give the, per, that person the Monday off, not the Friday, because Monday is actually the day of burden because they're dealing with all the family stuff on the weekends. And I remember them the day after Mother's Day just being one of those exhausting days that I'd overextended myself grief-wise. It, it's so central to why we started the company. It's so central to our audience, our community. So many of our community are grieving. So the sensitivities around grief are very present and so I have to I do live my grief every day through the work that I do but also be sensitive and forgiving and compassionate to my ability to perform be a founder be a business owner you know if I don't want to go on an Instagram live I don't go on an Instagram live like <laughs> sometimes I don't want to sometimes I feel like I want to throw all my toys on the floor in my playroom and cry my eyes out. And so the textures of that grief journey um, definitely present themselves in the way that we run our business. I hope that answered the question.
0: Speaking of questions, as we come to the end of our conversation today, I'm wondering, in this moment, if you have access to what I'm just thinking about like your company is so based on questions, asking people questions. And so like, which question in this moment do you most wish you could ask your mom? And it might be a big conceptual question, but it might be a really tiny little tangible question.
1: I was waiting for somebody to ask me that question. Of course, it was you, Jana. Perhaps I'd I'd love her to know something if that's okay. You know, I'm wearing an ohm sign around my neck. And, you know, before she passed, she had lost this. And she had thought she had dropped it down the toilet or something like, you know, sort of the toilet beside the sink, and you know take off your jewelry. You know, I think she had taken off this this uh, pendant and thought that it had um gone in the toilet and it was gone forever. And then she had passed. And my dad actually just found it about three months ago. And when he was vacuuming because she had passed away at their um, at their seasonal home in, in Phoenix, Arizona, and he was vacuuming and he found it and he was just so thrilled to give it to me. And I, I just feel so thrilled to have received it. But if I could if I could tell her something, um, it would be that that it's safe and it's here and I'm wearing it with pride And I smile every time I put it on now, so it's it's definitely something that will live on, and and it's safe with me. So she she can rest assured that uh, that will continue. And you know, just bringing this back to culture and bring it back to root and seed, and bring it back to stories and and traditions. You know, it's it's no wonder it's an Om sign. It's something that's very very intimate um, intimately connected to the Hindu faith it's almost a symbol in many ways of her knowing that her the traditions and her culture and the ways of doing things that are unique to our family will continue so
0: well anika thank you so much for sharing you know, so openly about your mom and about your grief. And I know before we started recording, you had shared, you know, I've been interviewed a few times, but I'm usually talking about my company more from like a business perspective. And so I appreciate you dropping in to that grief space today with me and, and with our listeners. Thank you, Jana. I just, I want to tell you to keep
1: on doing what you're doing because you, um, you definitely have an ability to help others through this platform and, Hopefully, we can all leave this world a little bit more healed. Um, and that's certainly what we're trying to do at Root and Seed. And I feel like you're doing through the generational work that you're doing um, at the
0: Dougie Center. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And I I, uh, I know you mentioned your company's uh, website, rootandseed.com. Are you all also available like on the normal not the normal, all the regular social media channels for people to follow. I know you mentioned Instagram Live, so I know now people would love to see you do one. Oh, yeah. We're on all of them. We're on Root and Seed. So you can find us on all social
1: media handles, including Threads, which is the new one. (laughs) Um, But that's Root and Seed Co, C-O at the end. Uh, Rootandseed.com is where you can learn all about the inspiration and the stories. If anybody ever wants to be featured and tell their story on our platform, we would be so grateful to do so. And then to access the web app, which is actually free for everyone to use, um, you can go to capture.rootandseed.com. And then finally, you can find all the products. uh, And I love that I can say products now. (laughs) Um, uh, hopefully when this airs around august um, they will be launched into the world but you can find those on root and, seed, root and as well
0: listeners as you know i always do i'll put all of those links in the show notes if you didn't catch everything uh that anika just said of ways to follow root and seed on their website or on social media and anika yeah thank you again for taking time today to talk with me and to share your story with our listeners thanks jenna and listeners, I say it each and every time, thank you for being part of our community, for tuning in, for sharing the show with people who you think might be helped by what we're talking about here. And uh, for those of you, like Anika, who email me and tell me what the show means to you. So if you'd like to do that, you can reach me at griefoutloud at dougie.org. And uh, dougie.org is our main website where you can find all of our downloadable resources, information about our local programming, and all of the episodes of Grief Out Loud. Excited to share, as always, that our podcast is sponsored in part by the Chester Stephen Endowment Fund. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time.